Hello, I'm Chris Brown, Fleet Group Editor at Bobbitt, and welcome to the next episode of Fast Forward Interview Series. Fast Forward is about connecting with leaders in fleet, tech, and automotive to show what the future holds for fleets of all types. In this episode, I interview Carl Brower, Executive Analyst at IC Cars, and we're going to be talking about the new world of electric pickups. But before we begin, Remember to follow and connect with us on social media. Be sure to subscribe to the Fleet Forward YouTube channel so you don't miss future episodes of Fast Forward. And hey, feel free to drop us a comment on the channel. Okay, let's get into it. So welcome, Carl. I'm really looking forward to this conversation on electric pickups. Yeah, it's a crazy market right now and uh, feels like we're kind of on the cusp of a bunch of these coming out. So it's kind of the next big thing, right? Yeah, it sure is. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot uh, straight away here. Uh, I'm going to just kind of list off the EVs that are coming to market and just give me some overarching thoughts uh, kind of on a quick hit basis. All right. So here we go. Tesla Cybertruck. Uh, when will it arrive? <laughs> okay. I, uh, I hope no one's uh, waiting with uh, held breath on that one. I think it'll eventually show up, but who knows when. Okay. Lordstown Endurance. Um, take the Cybertruck thing and add uh, another uh, couple uh, uh, big doubts, right? I mean, uh, Tesla's an established company, at least, even if it takes them a while to get anything out, I'm not sure what's going to happen to Lordstown. Um, but I wouldn't, wouldn't hold anything beyond my breath or anything else for the, uh, for the Lordstown truck. Sure. Uh, Rivian R1T. Probably the most impressive electric vehicle startup uh, in that startup mode. I, I consider Tesla well past startup, obviously, at this point. So I think Rivian is kind of the next potential Tesla, the real next potential Tesla. Plenty of them out there want to claim. I think Rivian might be it. Right. Okay. Uh, Bollinger B2. Uh, another big question mark, right? Um, you know, as, as I think Elon himself said, you know, and plenty of others have stated, it's very easy to make a concept car um, that looks really cool. Making a production vehicle with supply chains and uh, high volume sales and retailing outlets much tougher. So Bollinger, like so many of these, is a perfect example of that. Sure. Uh, okay. Another uh, uh, mark that's been in the name recently, Nicola Badger. Yeah, we're back to Lordstown again. Uh, you know, not sure what's going to happen with the company, let alone the vehicles that the company claims to be making. But um, let's, uh, let's go back to Rivian, shall we? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. Ford F-150 Lightning. The vehicle that I think rudely awoke the uh, startups, all the startups we just discussed in a way that said, the idea that we're going to come in and, and swoop, swoop in quickly and steal market share from the traditionals maybe isn't so uh, possible and so easy as we thought it was going to be. Uh, I think the F-150 uh, Lightning is clear evidence that the traditionals will not be ceding their market share easily uh, to these uh, upstarts that are coming in. Uh, very good point. I mean, so to follow on that, Chevy Silverado EV. Same thing. Another 
established automaker with a full network, full supply chains, everything ready to go for high volume production, and now uh, an EV version of a very popular truck that plenty of people already buy. Um, much, much better place to be in than a startup, no matter how exciting these startups uh, want to paint their picture to be. Yeah, good point. Uh, GMC, Hummer, EV, uh, niche play? Yeah, you know, this is a high priced, uh, low volume premium EV that's cashing in on an extremely well known and uh, popular or uh, famous or infamous, depending on where you are, maybe on the uh, environmental spectrum from the last version uh, of the Hummer. But one way or another, it's got name recognition, which is, uh, you know, some people will tell you isn't half the battle, it's 90% of the battle on any new product. Sure. So, um, you know, we just ticked off some uh, OEMs that really didn't even exist uh, five, six, seven years ago. I mean, how in the world are they gonna exceed in this market with the incumbent uh, automakers? I think your best bet is to find partnerships, whether it's with big brands that exist or big automakers that exist. And this is why Rivian, again, looks to be the most promising of all the ones we just went through. They not only have an impressive corporate pedigree in terms of who's working there right now and their histories, but also their ability to generate interest from the likes of Amazon and Ford. And now, of course, uh, another round of funding that they just received. So. Um, they look like they know how to position themselves as a startup, which is uh, partner and align as much as possible. Um, starting and going all on your own, almost impossible. Tesla would suggest it's not 100% impossible, but uh, for every Tesla, how many uh, how many have been left on the junk pile of, uh, of uh, EV startups and automotive startups in general for every Tesla that's been successful? Yeah, really good point. Um, so we talk about um, where electric vehicles are going to really be put into service first, what the duty cycle looks like. I'm really talking more specifically on fleets. Uh, certainly last mile local delivery just makes a lot of sense uh, for a lot of reasons. And we maybe we'll have the conversation on electric vans at some point, but we're talking about EV pickups here. Um, you know, how are those gonna fit into the market? Uh, you know, first off. So an electric vehicle is really good at certain things and really bad at other things. And one of the things it's bad at is, for instance, driving across the country, right? You've got to stop for a relatively long period of time compared to a gasoline engine or a diesel engine to fill up, and you've got to find a place to fill up even in the middle of nowhere. But they're really good at urban, predictable uh, routes. So if you've got a home base, so to speak, and, and for private individuals, this is your house with your, uh, with your 240 watt uh, uh, or 240 volt charger. But if you've got a hub, a delivery hub, where all your products start at and they have to be delivered in a local uh, predictable route, and you've got charging stations at that hub, and you know the route and how long it's always gonna be uh, very consistently, suddenly a 100, 200 mile, 300 mile range uh, electric pickup makes all the sense in the world. You now can send this vehicle out. It can do its route and come back to home base with uh, no, you'll know that you've got plenty of range left when it does that route. And it's in an urban environment where it's low speed, which is the best for um, trucks and e best for EVs. And it's quiet, which is great to cut, cut noise pollution. And of course it doesn't emit any uh, exhaust gases, which is great to cut air pollution. 
So as much as EVs can be argued against for replacing big, big rigs crossing the country, they're easy to argue against replacing uh, UPS vans and uh, um, mail vans and Fed FedEx vans and Amazon vans uh, running around your city. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we probably won't be seeing uh, electric pickups in the oil fields in West Texas anytime soon, or yeah, probably doesn't make sense in that duty cycle. Right. Plus, they'd probably be considered an affront to the entire industry in that part of the country anyway. Uh, that's a really good point, Carl. That's actually a very good point. Well, I mean, I guess, you know, when you talk about, again, I mean, I'm just going back to the EV vans, and it does seem pretty clear. And, and obviously, EV vans are enclosed, which is really important for last mile delivery. But I mean, so in that environment, does an EV pickup really work? I'm talking about an urban environment. Um, I don't know. <laughs> what they do don't work as well as a van, obviously, in terms of how much you know smaller cargo for that last mile delivery or you know last couple mile delivery even uh, that they they would uh, work in. But you know there are still work sites throughout a city that a truck can go to and it can carry equipment yeah. that you don't want put in a van. It's easier to access it in an open bed vehicle and um, it's more flexible to have that open bed to to pull it out or to set it up when you get to the work site. So there are still work site urban areas where an electric pickup would make a lot of sense. Yeah, I would think tradesmen um, with tools uh, would be pretty good. I, I just I'm waiting for the shot of uh, the tradesmen to go in a frunk and uh, pull out their tools, you know, be pretty cool. Don't, don't, don't forget the on site power too. the thing. Oh, that's really of course, cool about these things, you know, if you if you have a 250 mile range, and you really only need 150 miles for at the most, you got another, you know, third or more of your uh, reserves left to power things when you get to the uh, site that you're doing the work at. So there's actually some some things that an electric pickup can do that an internal combustion engine vehicle can't do as easily once you're at the work site. Yeah, and certainly Ford makes that point, and they made that point with their F-150 hybrid, which is mm -hmm. just a wonderful, a, a wonderful truck. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, which makes you kind of think like, well, you know, maybe the sales will kind of go toward hybrid, you know, um, uh, as that bridge opportunity. I, I don't know. But uh, I mean, any thoughts on the F-150 hybrid? Just that it's a points to the future that it uh, and it makes clear that um, it's not just about moving the vehicle around, but doing things when the vehicle gets to where it's going in the case of trucks that are on work sites and want to do more than just transport things, but want to power things when they get there. To me, the idea that you could take an F-150 hybrid, uh, into the woods and, you know, load it up with a bunch of power tools and literally construct a cabin out of the trees in those woods without coming back out for any other materials, you know, you would, you would start by cutting the trees down that are right there in the middle of the woods. And then you would shape them into the boards that you would build the cabin with all using just the truck and the equipment you brought with you in the truck. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really cool. I mean, getting back to what we use pickups for, um, you know, I could see certainly a lighter payload, but then when we get to towing, I mean, I, I I've seen the videos of, uh, you know, the Tesla's uh, towing a boat over the Loveland grade in Colorado and how wonderfully it does against a diesel pickup. And then the range just goes south really quickly. I mean, we're essentially taking away one of the key components of a pickup truck. 
uh, when we switch to EVs at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, again, once you leave the urban environment, in my mind, the EV uh, story starts to kind of fall on its face. It just doesn't work as well. Uh, and especially when you're going not just a long range, but when you're carrying a lot of things, because those two things are completely contradictory. Once you're carrying a lot of things, trying to go a long distance, um, you're, you're going to not get the performance that you're going to remotely see out of a diesel powered truck. An F-350 is going to have such an advantage over um, an electric truck, no matter what, even going over that grade. You know, I, I, I always make the joke with EVs when they say, oh, well, you know, like they talk about the speed of an EV, the power of an EV. And I'm always like, all right, well, let's, let's do, uh, let's, let's drag race then. Oh, by the way, I want to do 10 drag races, not just one. <laughs> yeah yeah because yeah. in the 10th one i'll still have some even in my dodge demon i'll still have some fuel in the tank but after 10 quarter mile runs and your uh, tesla plaid what's left you know uh yeah really good point and it's kind of hard to envision frankly our incremental but very real uh improvements in battery tech and battery range i think incrementally five years from now, we still are probably gonna have that towing issue with EVs. I, I think battery costs will keep coming down and, and, and battery density will keep going up. So that's good, but how long before the cost and the, and the, and the density and the range are equi equating to what you would get out of an internal combustion engine, especially when you roll in recharge time. Again, you know, if you're gonna drive your boat not just over Loveland Pass, but from Denver to, you know, Lake Powell, uh, you don't just have to get it over steep passes and have lots of torque, which the Tesla Cybertruck's great, but you got to get it, you know, 500 miles. And uh, if that going over that pass with your boat costs you 90% of your charge, and as soon as you get to, uh, to uh, um, I'm trying to think the city, like Glenwood Springs, right after you've done Loveland and Vail Pass, you got to stop mm -hmm. for you know, at least 20 minutes and maybe longer to get going again. And the diesel, the diesel F-150 is a quarter down on its tank in Glenwood Springs, including the boat towing from after you left from Denver. And, and it may not stop until it gets to, to Lake Powell or it might stop once for 10 minutes. Yeah. You know, one of them has an advantage over the other still. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to just, you know, touch on cost structure, right? I mean, and this is sort of, I mean, a different scenario perhaps with the independent um, OEs and the um, incumbent ones that have dealers. I mean, frankly, what's the, the, the F-150 is gonna be the hottest vehicle on the market. I mean, what's to stop dealers from marking it up 15 grand right out of the gate? Um, what do you it's think? It's gonna be supply and demand, of course, right? Like, like every new unique innovative, uh, you know, vehicle when it comes to market, whether it's a performance vehicle or in this case, an advanced uh, electric vehicle is going to have more demand than supply. The question is how long before that balances out. And I think the F-150 is appealing enough that that's not going to happen after the first 10 or even the first 100 or even the first 10,000 necessarily are available, that, that there's going to probably be plenty of demand for those things. But I don't think it's going to, you know, take years. I think there still will be plenty of traditional truck buyers who are like, you know, if I can't fill it up in less than 10 minutes, I have no interest in a truck. So it's not like everyone's going to rush to get that F-150 Lightning as soon as it comes out. A certain amount of people will. Uh, and of course, we'll see how many 
Ford produces too, if they try to kind of play that up that, oh, we're selling our F-150s above MSRP, they're still going for above trend, above the MSRPs, the transaction price. And then the question is, how many of those are you producing for every, how many uh, traditional F-150s do you produce for every uh, F-150 Lightning? Oh, like 20. Yeah, <laughs> or right. Like, or like 100. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, this this may may even there's sort of this spill off demand may play into the hands of these incumbent um, OEMs in terms of uh, keeping a lid on transaction prices. Um, you know, I mean, any thoughts there? You mean in, in the fact that they'll be able to kind of modulate up and down to make sure the transaction price is what they want it to be? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think you'll absolutely see that, you know, nobody wants to talk about their brand new advanced vehicle uh, being sold with a $5,000 incentive, you know, uh, to try to get it off the lot. So uh, I think, and, and that's where, you know, I think you always see the manufacturers with these established supply chains have a, have an advantage, you know, unless there's a big market shift, like, you know, everyone shuts down all the dealerships for some reason for like a global pandemic, but normally they can react quick enough to usually um, modulate their production. And they're much better at doing that than they were, you know, pre-recession back in the 2000s. Remember, they they kind of yeah. had to keep producing vehicles because it was cheaper to keep producing vehicles and selling them at 10,000 off than it was to not produce them at all because of the way all the contracts and the suppliers were set up. But now they've mostly solved that issue. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll save the uh, supply chain uh, uh, conversation for another time, but that's, yeah. a, that's another three videos right there. <laughs> Uh, I wanted to just uh, uh, talk about infrastructure, actually super important when it comes to EVs. I mean, you know, we can even talk about the dealers, getting back to the sort of the dealer equation. Um, how do you see, let's say, dealers fitting into infrastructure? So infrastructure remains kind of the big question, right? A lot of people are like, oh, you just charge at home. And, and the truth is, if you set up this urban kind of route that we discussed already, that's that's your home. Your home is... The, uh, is the location, the hub, the transportation hub where you're shipping your things from. So the truth is that you can solve a lot of your problems with a home-based charging, um, but you still would like people that feel like, whether they're private individuals or people who are driving trucks, to feel like they've got more options than to go all the way back to home base in case something happens and they have to take an unexpected detour that takes more range. And I look at the network of dealers that are located through all the major urban areas and the fact that these dealerships have for decades, you know, sold cars and serviced cars and more and more cars are being purchased online and through electronic means that is cutting down the need to have as much showroom space and electric cars specifically, but even really modern cars in general need less service. So dealers are rightfully kind of getting worried because anyone who knows the dealership model knows that they actually make most of their money on post-purchase service for a vehicle, not on the sale of the initial car. And what do you do when you're selling electric vehicles that don't hardly need any post-purchase service because they're so simple and, and uh, much more modular, uh, simple construction than all the complexities that are in a internal combustion engine? One of the ways you potentially do that is you become a part of the infrastructure for charging. All mm -hmm. that real estate that they've got at those dealerships and the idea that now you got to stop for 20 minutes to um, charge your vehicle anyways, what if they start to become really cool places to hang out for 20 to 30 minutes while your car charges and they sell things to you, whether it's Starbucks coffee or, uh, you know, uh, entertainment, you know, audio tapes, you know, 20 minute uh, audio tape things you can listen to in a really high quality environment, those kind of things, they become a, a, another option 
to charge your electric truck or car or anything else at the dealerships. And they obviously get some kind of fee for that. Um, so I think dealerships have a, a really strong role to play potentially in this future vision, not the role they've been playing, but a new role that it could actually be uh, hopefully just as much or more lucrative for them. Yeah, that, that, that's a really good point and a really interesting window into uh, uh, future business models. Actually, it's really cool. Um, you know, I mean, we've so the signal to noise ratio, frankly, on everything electrification is just kind of hard to cut through these days. I mean, including like a timeline for when we're really going to be able to get our hands on on these vehicles. I'm, and I'll, I'll just say specifically for fleets. Right. Um, I mean, you know, so we, we've got the initial production which could be a trickle, but it's initial production. And then we've got a realistic um, uh, time when, when the rest of us can, can really take advantage of, of EV pickups and EV vehicles in general. What, what, do you, what do you see that timeline as? You know, I mean, I think we're not gonna see like most of these transitions, anything's gonna happen overnight. There won't be one day where we wake up and it's totally changed. It'll just kind of slowly kind of make its way into the mainstream of, of vehicle sales and so slowly that we'll probably not really notice it. And then, we, then all of a sudden it'll be there, but it, it took a time frame that probably is good three to five years. I think, I think if we see the initial sales of F-150 Lightnings and Silverados and Hummers in the next one year, um, that'd be great. But I think like you're saying, before we get to a point where it's a viable option for the average person to go purchase an electric pick up and not pay, you know, crazy amounts over MSRP or have to wait forever is probably still three to five years away. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Hey, here's a, just one more wild card question for you. I mean, I, I really am not a fan of prognostications of anything happening by 2030 or, or 2035, a certain percentage of vehicles. I mean, is, is a timeline of 50% uh, electric vehicles on the road realistic by 2030? Or is it just a shoot the moon goal and we'll, we'll see where we go? It's mostly a shoot the moon goal. I mean, there's still a lot of variables out there, right? I still keep hearing mixed reports about everything from uh, rare earth uh, supplies uh, to, um, to honestly, uh, even, even post uh, uh, lifespan use for these batteries, right? Um, I personally am still worried, uh, or at least consider it within the realm of possibility that at some point, someone's going to look and say, wait a second, by the time you take into account the starting process of making batteries, and then what you're left with when their usable lifespan is, is gone, and what it takes to try to recycle them versus what, how hard it is to recycle them, they're actually more destructive cradle to grave than an internal combustion engine. Um, I'm not saying that that's what's, what's going to happen and that's what we're going to discover, but I'm also not at all convinced that that isn't possible, that we don't possibly discover that over the next five years as we continue to try to push into the EV space. And that wouldn't mean that EVs would just be a pointless exercise that we should have never done. I always like to say that we don't have a single solution to our current and future transportation needs. The whole point is to find the right solution at the right time, and there isn't one size fits all. Um, I, I don't know if or when an electric vehicle would ever make sense for cross-country big rig hauling, but I think they could make absolute sense for mail delivery. You know, I think if every one of the mail vehicles currently uh, puttering around in our cities on internal combustion fuel was electric, 
that might make a lot of sense on a lot of levels. Um, so I'd like to think that we'll have this kind of settling in of where each powertrain makes sense, uh, makes the most sense for us, not just the functionality that they offer at the moment, but the cradle to grave uh, destruction they do or don't do to the uh, planet. Mm. Well, hey, Carl, really good points, really great conversation. I think we need to reconnect in a year and just see where these prognostications uh, have ended up. Um, it's such a fast moving market and so fascinating. I just want to thank you for joining us today. Hey, it was great being on, Chris. This is an exciting time in the industry, never boring and happy to uh, always discuss it. I feel like there's, there's plenty to talk about and plenty to watch. Thank you.